Today's episode of Locked On Raptors is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. More on Built Bar a little bit later on in the show. Before we get started here, just want to offer a bit of a note off the top. This episode was recorded before the news came down that the Minnesota Timberwolves had fired their head coach Ryan Saunders and hired Raptors assistant Chris Finch to take over as their new head coach, effective immediately. Bit of a weird move, bit of an out-of-left-field thing, to say the least. I will try to dive more into that on Tuesday's podcast, which will be a mailbag episode, but I'll reserve some space to dive into the Chris Finch thing. Just initial thoughts, it's a bummer. The offense has been looking really good. Finch seems to have his fingerprints on that. Hopefully they don't forget how to play offense and that they've kind of adapted to their playbook and will just kind of continue doing Finch stuff even as Finch moves on. But the Raptors continue to get dudes hired away because they're smart and hire good people, apparently. So I'll talk about more of that on Tuesday. Let's get to today's show. Vivek Jacob joins me, and we dive all into the Raptors' 110-103 win over the Sixers on Sunday night. Enjoy. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 890 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, February the 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you are checking out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams, as well as all your other favorite teams in the Big Four Sports and the NCAA Major Conferences and it's always appreciated when you support, subscribe to, rate, review, all that good stuff on all of the Lockdown shows that you want to listen to. We have something for everybody. We have many things for everybody if you like more than one sports team, as most people do. So please go and check them all out. Okay, on today's show, it's a celebratory vibe. Baby, the Toronto Raptors have won four games in a row, picking up their fourth with a 110-103 win over the Philadelphia 76ers, the East-leading Philadelphia 76ers on Sunday night. A really, really impressive win for the Raptors. Still down Kyle Lowry. They make it work. And joining me to talk about what was a very fun game to watch, just a really good basketball game overall as well, between two very clearly good teams, is our pal from CBC, from Complex, from, God, all over the place. It's our pal Vivek Jacob. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much, man. Nothing but good vibes. As you said, this Raptors team is back nine out of 12 games that they've won now 14 and seven since the two and eight start and they're creeping up the standings man creeping up the standings above the boston celtics pretty much tied with the indiana pacers they're fourth place now tied for fourth i guess uh and in terms of net rating and all those fun metrics they are 
looking quite good. They're number eight now tied with the 76ers with a plus 2.7 net rating. Uh, they are number nine in offense, number 12 in defense, as that is slowly creeping up after four really good defensive games. Um, I don't know how much Friday's game was a good defensive game as much as it was just a very bad basketball game where no one scored, but we don't need to relitigate that game. Well, we don't even need to talk about that game. That game never happened. Uh, Vivek, this Sixers game, far more entertaining and fun and well-played than the game in Minnesota on Friday. So let's mm-hmm. devote our attention to this one. Uh, let's dive into our biggest takeaways. Vivek, for you, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' uh, 16th win of the season to put them above 500 for the first time all year? Man, there's so many different takeaways for this one, if I'm being honest with you. If I had to pick one, it's Pascal Siakam. I think yep. it, this is a bit also carrying over from the previous game, but... For me, when he's able to play make like this, when he's able to make his teammates demonstrably better, I think that is another aspect of his game that takes him to another level and this team to another level. And so when you come up against these quality opponents, and whereas maybe before you're in a series with the Celtics and Siakam is struggling to deal with double teams, struggling in the post, struggling to make reads early. When he's doing all of that now, you're saying, okay, look at all these wide-open shots you're getting. That's where I think this Raptors team now becomes capable of getting these wins. So that's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I'm with you. I have a lot of takeaways from this one. I do want to talk about the sort of coaching strategy in this one and Nick Nurse and some other things coming up in the second and third segments. But I'm with you. Pascal, to me, like he just looks miles better than the player he was to start this season, the player he was in the bubble. And in terms of just being like a well-rounded, doing-everything player, maybe the scoring is not where it was for long stretches last season, but everything else is just so fine-tuned. The playmaking without turning the ball over, just two turnovers for him tonight. Uh, I think they both kind of came late in the one in, in this one. He had, I think, zero turnovers through three quarters. Um, and just like... It wasn't just him. I thought him and Van Vliet in particular did just such a good job with no Kyle, just kind of taking turns driving the bus. Mm-hmm. And basically it kind of was in line with whenever Ben Simmons was guarding one of them, the other guy would kind of take things over. And I just, I'm so impressed with the way Siakam in particular, we know Fred is a good ball handler and point guard and all that, but like Siakam just had his finger on the pulse of the offense, like knew exactly when he didn't have an avenue to the basket, knew exactly when he did. And he's also just kind of busting out a different repertoire, right? He's got the mid-range stuff, like the mid-range step back he hit over Simmons in the first quarter, like maybe weak in the knees. I was sitting down as I often am uh, during the pandemic, but like still, I could feel the knees weaken a little bit. I was like, oh, oh, okay, he's got that. You know, he had the spin move around Simmons and then over Embiid as well. And I think the really impressive thing, and I think Blake Murphy made this point, is like think about the struggles that Siakam and Van Vliet have had against the Sixers in the past. Like Fred had one of his yeah. worst games of this season earlier on against Philly, and obviously he's made a lot of strides since then, kind of with the number one ball handling role thrust upon him with Lowry missing a lot of time. And then Siakam like was so spooked by the length and and sort of 
just the terror that Joel Embiid kind of imposes at the rim. He was kind of spooked to try it against Ben Simmons as well when he would guard him and just does not seem worried. And I think it's because he knows that if he does reach a point where, okay, there's no more me getting passed here, like Gandalf is saying, I'm not going to pass, I can just pass to somebody else and something else will will, will sort of pop up somewhere else in the offense in that in that possession and it's just it's been really really fun to see Siakam kind of learn the beats of a defense and what they're trying to do to him and kind of clinically pick it apart as it goes along and kind of realize the spots where he can kind of take it upon himself and sort of on that point I think Fred Van Vliet deserves a ton of credit as well nine assists in this one zero turnovers 23 for him 13 in the first quarter including that batshit insane heave that kind of got (laughs) things rolling for the Raptors um hey man gotta be good to be lucky I think that's the, the the way it goes right um and his defense in this one I mean just like digging down on Joel Embiid and pulling balls away he only had the one steal he had a block as well but like it just all-encompassing stuff from Fred Van Vliet as well, who, again, just sort of has the beats of the offense figured out. How many times have we seen him dribble out of possession the way he used to? It just never happens anymore. And I think that's partly to do with the sort of revamped offense they have this year where there's a ton of stuff. They get into their stuff really quickly with multiple screening actions up at the top, and that kind of forces Fred to get into things quicker. But he's doing such a good job of reading and reacting. Uh, There was a a sequence in the first quarter uh, or the first half where – you know, he had hit a couple threes, then they forced Joel Embiid to stop dropping so low, then he finds Aaron Baines and on a beautiful pass on the roll, just kind of punishing Embiid for coming up high. It's just, it's becoming very difficult to guard, man. <laughs> what were your overall impressions of Fred Van Vliet in this one? I thought he was equally as masterful as Siakam. Yeah, I'm with you on 100%, and it's because his game has become dynamic. His game has become unpredictable, and that carries over to the team offense now because of how in charge of it he is, especially in the absence of Kyle Lowry. And you talked about you know him pull, being able to pull up in the mid-range, him driving to the rim, him being able to pick his spots with the pass and identifying those passing lanes, those pockets where he can catch the roll man, where he can drive hard and then kick out to the strong corner or even, you know, back out to, you know, above the break. Uh, and I think, you know, that just adds so much to the Raptors offense because before those lanes that you could shut out, you could bank on those players not being ready for the pass or those players getting it that extra second late and then you can close out. But now everything is crisp. The movement is so much better. And players are anticipating the pass as well. They know that Fred has got it down pat in terms of recognizing where he has an advantage, where he has a disadvantage. And he's making the right decisions way more often than not. Honestly, I'm going to make a bit of a tennis analogy here because we're just coming off the Australian Open and Novak Djokovic. Well, of course, I would expect nothing less. And so Djokovic was playing against Medvedev and... He started using the drop shot a bunch and Mm. it kind of threw Medvedev off because, again, both of them play along the baseline a lot. And so all of a sudden later in the game, when Djokovic stopped playing the drop shot, there were actual points where Medvedev started moving in, almost anticipating the drop shot. And then it was like, oh, shit, it's coming deep. And now, you know, he's out of position to actually hit it back properly. And some of that is happening with Van Vliet, where you've got that unpredictability now in terms of what he's going to do next. And that's making 
his decision making easier. That's making uh, teammates open. That's making driving lanes open. And so when you talk about him being more dynamic and him just having that unpredictability to his game and it carrying over to the offense, I think a lot of that just comes down to taking the time in the offseason, understanding where your weaknesses are. Because let's face it, he, after a great series against the Nets in the first round, he was a bit exposed in that Celtic series. And so mm-hmm. the thing you have to love is he's the type of guy that will take that to heart and will come back a better player. Fred Van Vliet bet on himself to become an elite pick-and-roll operator. And guess what? You can bet on yourself in terms of your own sports knowledge by going to betonline.ag, the very, very best place, the fastest and easiest place as well to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And BetOnline even covers things like award shows, TV shows, reality TV, and, of course, weird European basketball leagues. It baffles me every time. There's like a new league that seems to pop up there every day, but you can bet on that if you want to. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. Head over to betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's the promo code LOCKEDON over at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Big V, after that outstanding ad transition, uh, we can move ahead going forward <laughs> here to, uh, I want to talk just a bit about the, like, the sort of game plan the Raptors rolled out against the Sixers in this one. There was much conversation before tip-off after Nick Nurse said something along the lines of, yeah, we're not going to be able to play small much uh, in this game. It's going to be difficult against Embiid. Kind of reasonable to say and ended up being pretty true. Um, but there was conversation. Are they going to go big? Are they going to stay small after picking up three straight wins since kind of committing to small ball, moving Baines to the bench? They do, once again, start small in this one. They start Bembry uh, in the starting five next to Powell, Van Vliet, Siakam, OG. I really, really enjoyed off the top of this game the sort of good-natured back and forth between Embiid and OG. I can only assume Embiid was saying something along the lines of like, oh, you're guarding me? And laughing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was great stuff. The the little uh, shenanigans off the top with the tip-off as they were uh, going back and forth and out-muscling each other and doing all that fun stuff too. Um, ultimately, they get like three and a half minutes into the game. It's 11-2 Sixers. It doesn't seem to be working super well, although I don't think it was all that bad defensively. I thought the Raptors' offense was what really let them down in that early part of the game. The defense on Embiid seemed just fine to me, Um, but they end up kind of going big for the rest of the game. They end up closing super big with uh, Fred... OG, Siakam at the three, and then Boucher and Baines, which I thought was an interesting. I thought actually the right call to close this one, considering how the action had gone. Uh, what was your overall impression of the way the Raptors approached this one? Clearly, they did a good job. They held Joel Embiid, the preeminent MVP pick right now, to 6 of 20 from the field. He got to the line a ton, but that's going to happen with Joel Embiid. Uh, he was just 1 of 3 from deep. It was kind of the best you could hope for against a guy like Embiid, considering they have one player who was taller than six foot nine on the roster. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure there were some cheap fouls given up and then the offensive rebounding, you know, 11 offensive boards, not ideal. But I think in terms of the strategy, Nurse had it down pat. And that's where you have to give credit to him. You have to give credit to Aaron Baines coming through. And as you said, they didn't get caught up in that start and thinking, oh, this doesn't work. And so 
uh, for Baines, especially going into that closing lineup. You're right. You know, Norman Powell didn't have a, a usual Norman Powell night that we've come to expect over uh, this run that they've got back into it. So I, I really enjoyed watching Chris Boucher uh, and Baines play together. And there's there's a genuine chemistry there. There's a genuine understanding there. And, you know, it, it's almost like they complement each other's strengths and weaknesses, right? The same way that Boucher is going to go up for everything, Baines is not going to get off the ground for anything, right? Uh, so um, <laughs> I, I think with Baines being able to use his body effectively, those, those little strengths that he has, just, you know, keeping off Embiid, uh, keeping Embiid off some of those uh, preferred spots on the floor, just making uh, a couple of shots being taken from a bit deeper than he'd like. Those are the little things that you like to see a bit, bit, bit off balance at times. And, you know, you, even a couple of times when Embiid took a three, I was like, yeah, that's that's a win for the Raptors every time. And so, um, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of credit goes to Aaron Baines, but the way the pieces fit around, again, the, the rotations are so much more crisp as well. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's just making everything that much tighter uh, to execute. And you're seeing possessions again where, uh, and, and we saw this from Philly as well. We saw great defense on both ends uh, at different points in this game. But the number of times, you know, Philly's trying to get the ball to their spots and then they're just stuck having to look up and say, hey, okay, we got nothing here. Where do we go? You know, mm-hmm. their tra- the transition defense was a problem for the Raptors. Um, but when you could get That'll into happen. yeah <laughs> when when you get into the half court sets i, I thought raptors uh, could be very proud of what they did yeah look they had a, a tough night guarding ben simmons he was a death in transition which he's always going to be and he was very good finishing around the rim he got to the line a ton and shot pretty well there too but all told like i think you'd rather get killed by ben simmons than joel Embiid, considering the limitations of ben simmons shot profile and you know just kind of if he's not carving you up with passes and finding open shooters it's probably a win for you as well like making him a scorer feels like kind of the way to approach philly and they were very eager to send extra attention Embiid's way. I thought they did a really good job, kind of Giannis style of building the wall anytime Embiid was trying to drive. Um, Fred, obviously, a freaking menace, just digging down and like ripping the ball out of Embiid's hands as he's wont to do for people who are a foot taller than him or more. Um, and I think they're really helped tonight by uh, a pair of sleeper agents, Danny Green and Tobias Harris. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, actually, Green was three of six. He wasn't too bad. He did foul out and was kind of bad and, uh, you know, that sort of discipline realm but it was Harris really missing as many threes as he did that really kind of allowed the Raptors defensive scheme to work because you know there's only really a couple guys out there that you're really worried about obviously the three starters around Embiid and Simmons are all good shooters the guys off the bench you're not terribly scared of or anything like that and so like I think you're more likely to get by with the star killing send two guys to the best player and just pray that the threes from the other guys don't go down strategy against a team like Philly than against like, I don't know, remember the Hawks kind of killed them because everyone on the floor can shoot and you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. You're kind of limiting the avenues for the Sixers to get insanely hot and kind of beat you with an unseasonably warm shooting night just because they don't have that many guys who can do that. So uh, I thought in particular that strategy made a lot of sense tonight. And I just want to give some credit to Nick Nurse, man. He's been coaching his bag off recently. Like he has... 
like kind of funny how that really, works when your team wins. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. But like, I, I think there's, you know, like I think there's like a correlation between Nick Nurse finding things in the rotation that makes sense and kind of deploying the right lineups and going small and all that stuff and the winning, right? Like, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I think it took him a while to kind of get used to what the roster is and where the strengths are and all that. And there were certainly some mistakes early on and some guys who shouldn't have been playing or and all that getting into the rotation. But I think for the most part, he's kind of pulled all the right levers here recently. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of got slept on. <laughs> you win coach of the year and everyone just kind of forgets that you're a good coach kind of. And it's like, oh, I mean, I've had a lot of people in my mentions being like, nurse is bad this year. And I'm like, you know, give it some time. He'll figure it out. And guess what? He's figured it out. Um, I don't know. You see maybe a little bit less sort of thrilled about Nurse's coaching job and more that it's about the team itself. Or how are you feeling about the way Nurse has kind of pulled things together and helped all the pieces fall into place? No, I definitely think he's coaching well. I just think maybe, you know, some of the stuff from earlier was getting overblown. And so the same way, yeah. you know, when we make the excuse for, oh, players are still getting to know each other and this and that, the same thing applies to the coaches and the coaching staff, right? And I think the one thing that, we don't consider enough is you look at someone like an Aaron Baines and what the conversations may have been when he was coming over as a free agent. And then, you know, you you can't just say after two games, it's like, okay, we're done with you as, as a starter. You know what I mean? And so I, I think when it gets to a point where, okay, we've genuinely given you the opportunity and it hasn't worked out, it becomes much easier to maintain things like team chemistry and have that conversation and just say, okay, you know, we, we've gone this way for a while now. We, we we have valid reasoning to go a different way. And so little things like that, I think, play into coaching and uh, just making sure you maintain trust and you maintain your relationships over the course of the season. And so now you're at a point now where Norman Powell, for example, he wasn't playing well at all to begin the season and then he found himself. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of it, you know, it's a lot easier to figure out the rotations when guys are playing to expectations. And so I think especially with that core early on, you look at Pascal's struggles, all of that is, has come together and now it becomes that much easier for Nick Nurse to execute everything that he wants to have done. Absolutely. Um, I also, we have to give Nick Nurse a lot of credit for discovering the net rating gods in the Baines-Boucher front court off the bench. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were excellent again tonight. Boucher had like the stretch of, I think he had 12 straight Raptors points between the third and fourth quarter uh, and was just banging in threes basically for the entirety of the fourth, which was beautiful to see. Uh, he finishes a plus 32. Baines is a plus 11 in 30 minutes, which uh, good on him for absorbing that many minutes off the bench. Just uh, kind of obviously was needed because you need someone who's large up against Embiid. But uh, that that I think they really found something with that with that duo playing together because of all the reasons we've talked about a million times. Boucher is a four and he's just free to kind of fly around and block threes and do his thing. And, he, you know, in this particular matchup, if he were forced to play center against Embiid, I fear he might have died actually on the floor. So uh, <laughs> glad they <laughs> were able to avoid that one. I do want to ask you one thing, and I want to get into sort of the overarching feelings and vibes around the team going uh, forward here uh, mm-hmm. in a sec. But um, look, it's uncomfortable, but Terrence Davis has played well in the last two games. Um, 
miss me with your redemption stories. I still believe he should not be on the team. Uh, the fact that he's paying $1,000 restitution and has to be a year trouble-free per the judge suggests to me that something very much did happen that night in New York, and that sucks, and the zero-tolerance policy for the Raptors is no longer a thing they can claim to believe and have because he's still on the team, despite all of the details of the case that we know. Um, so... I don't know. How are you sort of reckoning with Davis playing well these last two games and presumably kind of working himself back into the rotation? I mean, maybe Kyle Lowry returning bumps him back out anyway, and we're not talking about this anymore, but, uh, you know, it's kind of, we can't not address it. He was really big in the fourth quarter on Friday, hit the winning shot and all that, and then had some nice minutes tonight and was a plus 32. As much as it sucks, I, I think he's probably going to get some more minutes here, even if I don't think he should or think he's deserving. Um, how are you sort of reckoning with uh, the Davis thing the last couple of games here? Yeah, I mean, I think we're on the same page in terms of where we'd like to see him, and that's not on the team. But uh, I think you just the reckoning is the fact that you can't really associate the Raptors with... You know, all that, uh, all, you know, the human rights and the social justice uh, that we see, it doesn't go to the extent that uh, we'd like it to. And we can't, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a realistic expectation of a corporation. I don't think that's a realistic expectation of any NBA franchise. And so it, it, there are going to be situations where it does get uncomfortable um, bringing those, you know, those personal beliefs into it. And so... Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. He's playing well, um, and the Raptors are obviously gonna keep playing him. They they've, they've mm-hmm. indicated nothing else, so it's just the way it's gonna be. So you know, it just yeah. is what it is to me. Yeah, that's fair. I just I felt like we should probably address it because you know usually yeah, it's no, pretty absolutely. easy to ignore his exploits during the games, but they've been. Kind of important to the wins they've picked up in the last two games, which kind of, in a way, sullies the vibes a little bit. But otherwise, the team seems to be trending in a pretty positive direction. And I want to dive into that with you and sort of where your recalibrated feelings on the team might be. You know, we kind of do these little check-ins every week. And uh, I'm curious where you are after four wins, because things were pretty... uh, Harry after the Wolves game last week when we recorded it was yeah. uh, not looking so promising we were talking about oh no are they going to be like 12 and 17 this could be bad anyway we will mm-hmm. dive into that conversation in just one second but first I want to tell people about our friends over at Built Bar who make the best protein bar money can buy it is delicious they have 18 amazing flavors in their regular rotation plus they're always coming out with new fun flavors for you limited edition runs holiday themed flavors all that good stuff Some of the best flavors include lemon almond cheesecake, which I got to get me some more of those because they rule. You've got toffee almond, you've got peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie. You really can't go wrong with any of these flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and they're great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for keto diets as well. 
I, after sitting on my butt for two weeks, am going to be getting back out to the ski hill this week. Whoa. Uh, I guess the, the ski flat, I guess it's cross country. I don't know. It's uh, it's not really a hill. Sometimes there are hills. Uh, but either way, I really like to have a built bar just before I go skiing. It doesn't weigh me down. I'm not all full and heavy from a big lunch or breakfast or whatever it might be. A built bar gives me some energy and tastes really, really good as well. And right now, when you go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you will receive a 20% uh, discount off of your next order. That's the promo code LOCKDOWN for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Big V, just a heads up. I believe on Tuesday I'll be doing a mailbag episode of the podcast. So please get me your questions in. There is a lot to sort through. Mm. After four straight wins, it should be a very good feeling mailbag. Perhaps I'll invite our friend Katie Heindel on because I love doing mailbags with Katie. It's, it's wonderful. Hey. Anyway, let's dive on in to the, uh, the the sort of overarching big picture stuff with the Raptors now. They are, of course, 16 and 15. They're turning in the positive direction. They have been for a while now. They're 14 and 7 since the 2 and 8 start. They look pretty much like the team we thought they would be coming into the season where they're right in the mix in the Eastern Conference. As our friend and recent podcast guest Joey Cash made, made note of, he thinks they can beat any team in the East in seven games other than the Nets, which... I think is a fair argument at this point, <laughs> you know, and, and I think this week in particular has been really good for my sort of overall feelings on the team because they've beaten good teams or what we perceive to be good teams. Maybe the Bucks are frauds. I don't know, but they beat the Bucks twice pretty handily. They neutralized Giannis, the two-time MVP. Those are good-ass wins. The Wolves game, ugly win, but also kind of encouraging that they were able to win so ugly on a night where they didn't have it at all. And then the Sixers, of course, top in the East and... I think the Sixers rock, man. Like They're a really good team, and the Raptors made them super uncomfortable. So with the recent sort of beefing up of the win resume and the positive you know, trends for basically every stat on the team right now, um, you know, where are you at in terms of sort of your expectations, your feelings on where this team can go this year, like within the season? Is there a ceiling to where they might be able to finish? And I guess the bigger sort of more pressing question and it's about a month away is how have your feelings on the deadline kind of evolved here because there's lots of things that have kind of informed that thinking from the last week based on the rotation changes these are a lot of questions sean yeah i know it's dude it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's big picture i told you but you know just sort of general feeling look i'm a bad host it's the first show of the week i'll get back into it over the course of the week but uh pick any one of those seven thousand questions i just lobbed at you and uh go go to town man yeah, so in terms of my expectations of this team coming into the season, I thought they were capable of competing for, you know, home court in the East. So that about that four or five range, that's where I saw them. Obviously, after seeing what they looked like at two and eight, I thought their margin for error was thinner than I anticipated. And so my expectations changed. Now they're back up to where they were at the beginning of the season. And so do I think there's only one team in the East that would be favorites against them? And that being the Brooklyn Nets? No, I, I, I would still... Um, This season is weird. So I still think Philly is a better team. I still think uh, yeah. Boston, if I'm being honest with you, is a better team. Just in a playoff setting, when you've got the wave, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can score the ball... Uh, I think that's going to be really tough to contend with. I mean, the Celtics have been without Marcus Smart for a while. Kemba's if he's not there, pretty creaky though, man. Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. If, if Marcus Smart isn't around f- 
for a series, then mm. yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll say the Raptors have a good shot at that one. But I think Marcus Smart is a big difference maker. So uh, I, I would consider if the Raptors played the Celtics, I would consider the Celtics favorites. Um, but besides that, you know, I, I, I think they could, they could really give the Bucks a run for their money uh, just because I think coaching wise, they have such a significant advantage. And then <laughs> the, and then, yeah, I look at the rest of the East and for sure they, they'd have a chance at, at getting it done. So in terms of the playoffs, I, I think the one thing that has changed for sure is there is a window there is a creek through which i can see this team getting to the eastern conference finals mm-hmm. i did not see that before i i thought i thought there was a decent chance that they could be a first round out i thought for sure their ceiling was second round out but now i think there there is a tiny window through which they could be uh in the eastern conference finals and then you know you, you kind of see where things are at, at that point as far as the trade deadline is concerned, hey man, I'm getting through all, all of them. Don't worry. Uh, as far as the, tra- <laughs> I'll just sit here. I'll put my feet up. Go ahead. I've, I've made my own bed here. <laughs> as far as the trade deadline is concerned, um, I actually am not looking at changing too much, unless there's something that that can be made on the fringes where you're looking at. I don't know who is interested in a package of, you know, Stanley Johnson and Terrence Davis and whatnot for uh, someone that could really step into the rotation. I, I don't see a deal being made because I just think Norman Powell has been too good. And that's likely yeah. the, the, the piece that you have to give up to get something of, of, you know, tangible value that could make a difference on this team. And I'm not willing to give that up for a Drummond or whatever it may be. I'd rather, honestly, I'd rather wait for what's available in the buyout market and and just take a crack at it. Obviously, that's going to be tough because with the buyout market, guys, they're going to lean towards the Nets and the Lakers and the Clippers. But uh, I think that that's the way I'm leaning right now. And, you know, I, either way, you just have fun with it uh, coming down the stretch. Yeah, man. My, uh, Is there anything my trade I, I machine... didn't answer? No, you got it all. <laughs> all right. You made your point. I'll be a better host next time, I promise. But, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I mean, my trade machine usage has gone down significantly recently, which is a good thing because I hate the trade machine and I hate that I was a trade machine freak for a while there. But I really think what we've seen this week in terms of the change of rotation and just sort of how the team looks when they play their best guys more. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, maybe there isn't that much of a pressing need for a center. Maybe all they need is like some insurance in the event Baines gets hurt, which happens, right? Like if you have another center who's similarly sized, who can kind of do similar things off the bench paired with Boucher in that back in that front court off the, off the bench. Like I think, that's kind of all you really need, honestly. I, another guard who can handle a little bit would be good too. But, you know, maybe you get something out of Malachi Flynn as he continues on here. Or, or I guess they're going to keep playing Davis. So maybe they don't view that they have a need there. Mm-hmm. I, I just, with the way that the rotation's lining up here, it, it just kind of seems far less pressing to go and get a big addition. And that applies to, uh, you know, I think another sorry another thing that kind of informs that as well is that I think Siakam and Van Vliet looking as good as they are that just kind of gives me a whole new 
level of confidence as to what this team can be as is going into the postseason. And I'm with you. I think there's more of a path to a conference finals. Uh, you know, the finals I don't think is happening unless the Nets for some reason go out early before the Raptors play them because I don't see the Raptors beating the Nets. But, you know, there's there's a path there to take advantage of weirdness in what is sure to be a postseason that provides ample weirdness. And, like, they've done this these last four games without Kyle Lowry. And I know some people are like, oh, they keep winning without Lowry. Maybe Lowry's bad or something. No, it's just, like, all it does is tell you there's room to be even better than what they've been. And that's very exciting. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> truly very, very exciting. Especially once Bembry, I think, goes back to the role he's probably more suited to coming off the bench. Like, it's it just, it all is kind of falling into place here. And, yeah, it just, I feel so much less burdened by the idea of, oh, they need to get a center. Otherwise, this team is lost. They need to get, like, an Andre Drummond or a Rashawn Holmes. A Rashawn Holmes would be nice. Don't get me wrong. It would be very cool. And the Kings are losing again, so maybe there's something to be done there. But it's not an essential thing anymore. It's not a necessity for them to survive. It's a luxury to add an extra piece who can kind of add some depth because the way Baines is playing off the bench in this new role, and again, it's four games. Things could fall off the rails any time, but the way it all kind of has fallen into place, it just it all kind of clicks and makes sense to me. And we, if you can survive and beat Joel Embiid, there aren't many other teams in the league that are going to test you that way in the way you're playing and, and the sort of players and personnel you have on hand. And it's, again, one game. It could just be a flash in the pan. The Sixers had a rough game, whatever, but they were fully healthy, and they were very clearly troubled by what the Raptors did, and I think that builds well. And to the point of Pascal and Fred, like I, I just feel like those guys, the, the strides they're making, the way that they're... They've sort of taken all the lessons of that Celtics series and applied them and like improved on the very things that needed improving upon. Mm-hmm. It's bloody impressive and gives you a lot of hope that things won't stagnate the way they did in the postseason. And look, some teams will throw insane defenses at you and it'll be difficult, but I just I feel really, really good about the way things are trending and the way those guys in particular kind of raise the ceiling because if they're playing at this level... You get Lowry back, and OG can kind of get back to where he was before he was hurt. You have Norm playing this way. Like, I'm not surprised this team is scoring the way it is. I'm not surprised the the, the way this team is defending the way it has recently. Like, all the pieces are there. It all makes a lot of sense now in a way that it didn't a few weeks ago. And for that reason, you can give up all of your thirsting for other players to come in and save the day. DeMarcus Cousins is not the answer. Uh, they don't need an answer is the thing. It's uh, They're looking really good. And I'm quite uh, quite confident that this is going to, like, this run of form is going to continue, and they'll, they'll be right in the mix for home court, two seed, shit, three seed. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see, I guess. But um, Big V. Quick question yeah, that might up? help yeah. sum it up. Sure. Considering the level Pascal Siakam played at in the bubble, yeah. considering Marcus Gasol's struggles in the bubble, Mm-hmm. Is this team capable of in in the playoffs? It, can this team be a better playoff team than what you saw in the bubble? Ooh, that's a good question. That if I were a better host, this would have been the the third segment topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, With this version of Pascal and the improvements yeah. that Fred's made and the step that OG has taken, and Norm looking like this too. Yeah. And, like, Boucher kind of replicating to, like, a less reliable degree the surge minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think kind of maybe. Right? 
it's, yeah, like it, it, it really makes sense. All of it makes sense. Van Vliet is a, just a markedly better player than he was last year. Siakam, mm-hmm. like we talked about at the top, like the things he's doing are like a direct response to the things that like unhinged him in the postseason. So I think, yeah, there I think this team could be a better playoff team than last year's. That's fun. Hey, will they sweep the nets? Of course, no. Huh. <laughs> uh, look at it. You just firing up these thought-provoking questions. Big V, that's why we love you. Thanks so much for being on the show today, man. This was great. Good vibes, man. It's nice to talk about a team that whips ass again. It's pretty cool. It's fun, man. It's always fun to do it with you. Things nobody's ever said. Uh <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> no, nah, you're too harsh that. on yourself. Anything that you uh need to plug, dude? Uh yeah, there's North Courts with CBC Sports that you can check out on YouTube. Yeah. Make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. We will have more content coming your way. You can check out the latest episode where we talked about Lou Dort and uh based on what Jamal Murray did recently, I will be issuing an apology to him on the next episode. <laughs> Uh, besides that, you can find my work with my written work with CBC Sports as well and Complex Canada. I will be making a case for Fran Van Vliet to be an all-star soon, so that'll be out. And then besides that, oh, there's the soccer podcast by Couch Manx that you can check out if you're a Manchester United fan or just a footy fan in general. And other than that, you can just uh, follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Sounds good, brother. Thanks so much for being on again. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe to, rate, review, all of that good stuff. It's very appreciated. Get your mailbag questions in for Tuesday's podcast as well. I'll put out a tweet prompt at some point on Monday. And if you want to send me some good ones, I will answer them on Tuesday's show. Uh, and it's a busy week. There you have games Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll have recap podcasts all the way through the week. And that'll be a lot of fun, too. Hopefully they continue winning games because it's really fun to talk about wins uh anyway that's gonna do it we'll talk to you again on tuesday with another episode of locked on raptors now go listen to locked on leafs with mike DeStefano as he talks about another team that keeps bludgeoning everybody they play the toronto maple leafs who lead the league in points and are awesome so go check out locked on leafs and we'll talk to you again on tuesday have a good one everybody